Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of the All Rise podcast, produced by Gonzaga University School of Law. I'm your host, Ryan McNeese. I'm a proud alumnus of GU Law, where I obtained my Juris Doctorate and MBA. I'm a lawyer and business owner in the Spokane community. In this season of the All Rise podcast, we are reflecting on the theme of Go Forth, inspired by the St. Ignatius of Loyola quote, Go Forth and Set the World on Fire. However, during the recording of many of these episodes, we weren't going very far physically because of safety measures in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. Regardless, we felt that now, more than ever, we needed to connect with our community. Many of these interviews were recorded using Zoom and similar technology, and we apologize for the audio quality. In this next episode, we are excited to introduce one of our new faculty members, Aneshka McPeak. Aneshka will be joining us as an associate professor and the new director of the school's Center for Law, Ethics, and Commerce. During this conversation, she shares her background and personal story as well as her research. Okay, so why did I choose the law? That is, um, my answer to that question is is like kind of ridiculously unplanned because so was my legal career. Um, I was never one of those people who uh, watched TV shows and thought one day I'll be a lawyer. I had no idea. And I actually had no idea I wanted to go into the law until I was working after college. And I worked for a book publisher and I negotiated translation rights. Um, it was not a JD required job. I think a lot of companies has it as like a JD preferred job. Uh, but in the process of doing that, I was doing a lot of boilerplate translation agreements. Um, and occasionally I'd have something a little more complicated and I'd have to dig into some contracts and uh, eventually meet with in-house counsel to kind of discuss the nuance of a deal. And at one point our in-house lawyer actually said like, where did you get your law degree? And I just kind of laughed and said, I'm not a lawyer. I, you know, never even thought about it. But as soon as she said that, I went, why not? Maybe I should be. So then I applied for the LSAT and within, honestly, less than a year, I was in law school. Oh my goodness. That's such a short, like, turnaround time. It was. I mean, it was a really quick, like, oh yeah, of course I should be a lawyer. And then um, I really just like looked into it, signed up for, um, an LSAT a few months later, studied uh, nights and weekends and then applied and that was kind of it. So it really is a, is a funny thing for me because I was never one of those lifelong, I always wanted to be a lawyer. Um, I actually have affirmatively before that said I don't want to be a lawyer. Um, I had a moment when I was uh, starting college and this might be um, part of being a first gen college student, but I was at an orientation at um, University of California, Santa Cruz. And uh, they asked if I wanted narrative evaluations, which are just a paragraph describing your work, or if I wanted to opt in to optional letter grades. And uh, someone asked, why would you get letter grades instead of evals or in addition to evals? And the answer was only if you're going to go to law school or med school. And I immediately said, there's zero chance I'm going to do either. And I had a GPA of (laughs) 0.00 when I applied to law school because I didn't think I would even consider it. So to show how much changes in, you know, four to five years. um, Yeah, it was a big, it was a big kind of surprise for me that this is what I ended up doing, but I'm very, very happy that I did. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned you're a first generation college student. Talk a little bit about your personal journey before then and coming to the United States. Yeah, so I am originally from Poland. So I came to the U.S. when I was about four years old. I am a political refugee from Poland. So essentially, 
um, during uh, sort of the when it was still communism in Poland, my father was part of uh, really a founding member of the Solidarity Movement, uh, which played a big role in uh, eventually toppling communism in Poland. Uh, so he was very involved. He helped organize strikes at the, um, at the Lenin shipyard in Gdańsk, Poland, in Northern Poland. Um, when martial law was declared, he was a political prisoner. And we essentially um, had to leave Poland, didn't have, uh, any other really good choice. So we emigrated when I was about four and we came, uh, we actually ended up resettling uh, after several months in sort of temporary places, but our first permanent home in the U.S. was actually in Pittsburgh, California. So I ended up growing up in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, which is pretty fortuitous because it's a great place to be, um, but that's sort of how we ended up there. So we came over, uh, it was my parents, my sister and I, um, and we just kind of started from scratch in a completely new country. Yeah, that's a really inspiring story, I think, for some of our students who are also first generation. I guess to add to that, you know, what, what's some advice that you would give based on that experience of, of navigating that space and as a first gen student? So it's something that um, it, it kind of hits me as I, as I progress, right? So kind of at each step along the way, um, you know, it's almost this naivete where it's like, oh yeah, that's great. I'll go, I'll go to college. I got into that college. I'll go to that college. And sort of the way I made decisions in retrospect, I, um, I didn't have necessarily a long view of every step of my career, how to strategically network and plan. It was real sort of seat, seat of my pants kind of planning. And most of my, uh, most of my decisions were completely based on finances. Um, you know, whoever gave me the most money, that's where I would go to school, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But in retrospect, like I really didn't even uh, understand the world of possibility. Uh, but I will say that I think it adds tremendous value um, to me now um, having, you know, coming from even just a more working class background, having some of that perspective, um, I think is crucial. So just just having um, and diversity of backgrounds and diversity of life experience enhances any institution. Uh, so any student, um, you know, you are never an imposter. You absolutely belong here. Um, and finding people that reinforce that um, is important. So you will find um, cheerleaders, supporters, people who have felt perhaps as out of place or unprepared um, and none of that should be a discouragement. It's actually, to me, an asset. I want to um, transition our conversation a little bit into the, the research and the work that you do now. Um, tell us about some of that. Currently, I'm teaching torts and professional responsibility, and I also um, teach a privacy law course and a course on social media discovery. Um, I'm looking forward to adding um, corporations uh, to my repertoire. Um, and um, perhaps a few other business courses. Um, my own research and writing, a lot of the work that I do deals with law and technology. Um, and I, I think part of growing up in the Bay Area, uh, I did grow up in sort of a culture of, of innovation, entrepreneurship, and it's something that I personally really value. Um, my dad was a small business owner. He started his own gardening business. Um, in, in the Bay Area. So I, I, there's a lot that I really value about, um, about technology and innovation um, and startups, for example. 
Uh, and so what I do um, for my research, uh, I kind of have a few strands. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a chase shiny objects person. So I'll sometimes find something really fascinating and then I'll, I'll go with it and go down the rabbit hole. Uh, but I, I write a lot about the role of social media and litigation. Um, so I've focused a bit on social media. I've written about civil discovery rules in social media. So how do courts handle getting at someone's Facebook content in a, you know, in a tort case. Um, with that, I've also written um, a little bit about um, ethics and lawyers using social media and what are the bounds of a lawyer's own use of social media. Uh, and then I have a kind of another strand um, that has taken me into the sharing economy, um, looking a little bit more about companies that are really disrupting our traditional relationships between business and employee and business and customer uh, and what that means for tort law. Um, and I've, I've taken that even to a new level where I'm writing about immunity for um, online intermediaries. So when uh, someone posts something on a social networking site, um, the site itself is generally immune from, from lawsuits uh, resulting from third party content shared on its site. Um, but that immunity provision, it's called Section 230 of the, of the Communications Decency Act, has been pretty broadly interpreted. And I um, argue that it's perhaps too broadly applied. And I, I, I argue about some of the limitations we might impose at the margins to kind of rein in immunity for some of these platforms. Um, and that's, uh, that's actually a forthcoming article, Platform Immunity Redefined, which will be out in William & Mary Law Review uh, sometime next year. Um, so that's another area where I'm sort of uh, working on. So really, I, I have, you know, a common thread of sort of technology and business uh, with a lot of different overlays of law. It's interesting because I think a lot of the conversations that we've been having as we've started to assemble this season of this podcast have actually come back to this similar topic of the intersections of the law and technology and what that means from a um, user perspective. Um, and, and I think it's interesting to hear just the different uh, interpretations and aspects. There's a lot of different layers to that, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I'm curious about some of your thoughts about that intersection and the law and policy and, and where we as consumers, um, I myself not being somebody who's a lawyer, where that information is valuable for me. And I think another element that I'd like to pull into this is the theme that we've been exploring throughout this podcast and throughout the year, which has been the idea of going forth and where our work as, as a law school really transitions and encourages our law community to go forth and take our expertise out into the world. Yeah, so I mean, I think that that's a really great um, question. Uh, and so one of, the, uh, one of the things I'm really looking forward to is I'll be director of the, uh, the Center for Law, Ethics, and Commerce. And, and this is really a great place where it all kind of coalesces because one of the uh, really important aspects of all of this is how it affects everyday people. We're seeing the tremendous benefit of technology right now, right? The fact that we can have this, you know, I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you're in Spokane, Washington, we're able to have a Zoom session that we're able to record to a podcast. I mean, all of that is really facilitated by so much technology that's new uh, and, and pretty exciting. The, um, 
the issue that however though is there's so much behind the scenes that happens whether it's from a um, corporate sort of business perspective um, how corporations decide um, what to do whether they value their consumers over their investors for example um, how how they balance these competing interests of making money but also um, quality and perhaps even protecting consumers. And we always have to strike a balance. We have to strike a balance between safety and privacy, for example, and the user with utility and innovation. Um, and that balance is constantly shifting. And I, I'm actually seeing even now with the pandemic, some of the shift. So I would love for ways for us, even as a center and as a school to um, perhaps explore some of these intersections and some of the impacts um, maybe have uh, have ways that we can uh, work together to even suggest or steer things. Um, one one of the things that that I've observed, for example, like we may be entering a brave new world of um, contact tracing. We might have our phones that already track us a lot. They track us in ways that most consumers might not even fully understand or realize. Um, but we already give out so much personal information to these private companies uh, with very little privacy protection. Now we're looking at perhaps using uh, contact tracing as a way to help um, stem the pandemic. But what does that mean when you balance that against privacy interests? Um, those are the, the types of issues that I think will really come to the forefront. And I think we could be in a great position to offer some good programming to help shed light on these perhaps um, explore, you know, some ways to to lead to solutions or collaborations in that regard. Um, you know, I, and I, I do think also from this sort of going forth, um, finding a way to really think about the social impact of technology is really important. We um, we tend to steer away from onerous regulation because of how it can stifle innovation. Um, but there has to be a trade-off there, and social responsibility is that trade-off. And so going forward as ethical lawyers, um, we also need to think about the impact, the negative unintended impacts of technology. How do we balance that against the benefit? Um, and it's something that I think, you know, one's professional identity can even be kind of all-encompassing with that, with that idea of how do you make responsible decisions um, even when going forward with important technological developments. Yeah, it's such an impactful and important conversation. And I think that it's maybe not one that students are thinking of right off the bat when they think about becoming a lawyer. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't speak to, I can speak to my experience. I can't speak to your experience of that. But I, I find that when somebody stereotypically thinks of what it's like to get a law degree or what it's like to be a practicing lawyer, this is not the kind of thing they think of. I would, I guess my follow-up question to this is, you know, how do we, how do we encourage students to be more thoughtfully engaged with this idea? So one of the things that, um, that, that I'm thinking of is sort of even the slogan, slogan of like passion into practice, right? We, we have um, personal drive and passions that bring us to law school. Um, a lot of it is, uh, you know, it, it can't even be as simple as I, I wanna be able to, to have a stable, good career. Um, but a lot of it is a lot, a lot more, um, 
you know, I guess warm and fuzzy than that, right? We have sort of even like whether it's a social justice drive or um, it is, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur and an innovator, regardless of sort of the passion behind wanting to be a lawyer. I think going to law school is like a life altering event. We, we try to teach the whole person. And part of that is exposing um, students to a lot of these issues because we don't have answers for all of it. In fact, I'm looking forward to my students being the ones to, you know, move the law forward in these ways. Um, and so I think just having opportunities for speakers, uh, workshops, et cetera, and ways to just even learn about these issues so that really the students, when they embark on their careers, can be the change makers uh, that, that really kind of bring to fruition uh, some of the solutions that we can barely even fathom right now. I'm curious, I want to transition a little bit into some more conversation about specifically some of your research projects. Um, you touched on um, some publishing you're going to be doing, but I was curious if you have, if you want to talk about any of your um, past publishing or any past projects that you think uh, our listeners might be interested in hearing about. Yeah, so, um, you know, one thing that um, that I, I am sort of building on now that is a past project and, you know, every project, like I equate it to being like a gremlin, you know, that you like feed after midnight or whatever, like it just spawns many other little gremlins. So one of my projects um, was uh, sharing tort liability in the new sharing economy. And I was looking at the ways that we might have to either dust off or reimagine some older doctrines and tort law. So essentially we have vicarious li liability and like respondeat superior. So this just goes back to the concept that an employer can be liable vicariously for the acts of the employee done within the scope of employment. And um, we have blown up entirely our employment relationships because of the sharing economy. So when we have these sort of ad hoc workers um, doing work in a way that isn't necessarily neatly fitting into this idea of like the employer-employee relationship, we um, we kind of mess up long-standing tort liability doctrine. So like now if you're hit by a car driven by an Uber, can you sue Uber for it? Um, and there's a lot of challenges there because of the way that they have reimagined the business relationship. Um, and I kind of look at other doctrine that could be used to sort of fill in these gaps, these liability gaps that are created by these new models. Um, and a future paper um, is called Gig Agency and is looking at agency law, but looking at it in a way of how do we deal with this new sharing economy and what is a new type of agency. And this is something that I think the, the pandemic is re really bringing to light too, is that we, you know, we rely so heavily on these sort of gig workers but we have very little definition as to what their rights are, how tort law is going to handle this. Um, and that's one area that I'm continuing to, to work on. Um, another project that just kind of came about is I've agreed to write something in the spring as well for um, St. Louis. Um, I will write for them the, in their teaching series, something about asynchronous online teaching. So one of my, um, you know, moving away from sort of research areas, but, but one of my other passions is actually online teaching. And I'm, I feel like I'm just getting my feet wet, um, but I've taught online more than half a dozen times now, usually in an asynchronous format, which means students work 
which now students are I'm sure well aware of these terms, but students work through uh, kind of at their own pace. So I tend to do like this semester, I'm doing more of a blended approach with some live sessions, but a lot of it is uh, designing a class that um, doesn't require us to be in the same, uh, on the same time together. And I've written um, a little bit about how that looks for law school education. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to exploring that more, especially as online teaching has become suddenly a huge necessity. Uh, so I'm excited to continue to learn more and expand in that area as well. Yeah, the COVID-19 crisis has, for a lot of reasons, also been a theme that's run throughout this podcast as we've had conversations around the challenges and the, the ways that it's influenced our work. And, and so I actually, you, you brought up the, the follow-up question that I was going to ask, you know, it's like the, the, those two areas of your, um, your academic exploration are about to receive a whole infusion of really interesting data. And um, I mean, it's, it's like both of, it's like a blessing in a way you're, we're, I think we're all about to learn a lot about where we are collectively um, in terms of like the sharing economy and the gig economy and online teaching. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, what are your thoughts on how we can learn from this experience and, and take that, I think, not just in, you know, the realms you and I are talking about, but collectively and learn from it as a as a society and build policy around it. I know that's a really big question and I don't think you probably have this the perfect answer and I don't think anybody does, but I am curious to hear your thoughts. <laughs> right. So yeah, so for now it's uh you know trying to get my kids to change out of their pajamas every day and uh <laughs> and, to, and to homeschool is like about the extent with which I'm I'm revolutionizing my own life. <laughs> but I will say that I love the um the perspective this is giving everybody that a lot, you know, I'm reading a lot of uh, think pieces right now just about what what exactly should we take away like when we talk about returning to normal we know that's not going to be snapping our fingers and going back to january it is going to actually look different and how do we want it to be different what do we not want to bring back from before um what what inequities in our social structure are being brought to light and how can we change that you know one thing that um i'm really excited that the center will be doing um you know dr marks has a project on the uh, the health uh, and technology policy project. And I think that's that's one of the ways that I, I could see us even in the short term promoting new policies that help improve public health, for example. Um, I think that, you know, going with this sort of sharing economy theme, we're beginning to redefine what we see as essential. And a lot of our essential workers are some of the most mistreated. And perhaps it is time for us to 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 restructure how we um, how we do things in our economy because we're seeing exactly the inequities that are arising. And yes, it, it's a great opportunity for change. So I, I did actually go to law school um, in New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina. And I saw what Katrina did to the city, but I also saw the opportunities that arose. So, you know, some of the, um, the, the ways the city could rebuild for the better. Um, not all those opportunities came to fruition, but there really are ways that something this abrupt at least sheds light on issues, but also allows for kind of a radical rebuilding. And I'm hoping that, you know, 
once we all emerge from our, uh, once we all emerge from the doldrums of self-isolation uh, and, and can kind of return to a semblance of normalcy, I think we will appreciate each other more. Um, we'll appreciate that time face to face. Um, you know, already I think people are, are um, showing a lot of kindness to each other and I'm hoping the, um, when, when we get to re return to a more social life that we can uh, take this opportunity to re to fix and rebuild things, um, but to also appreciate each other even more. This episode of the All Rise podcast was produced by Gonzaga University School of Law with assistance from our colleagues at Gonzaga Instructional Development and Design. A special thanks goes to our alumni and donors who continue to support our mission of providing an excellent legal education informed by our humanistic, Jesuit, and Catholic traditions and values. Did you enjoy this episode? Let us know. Give us a shout out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You know the troll. Or you can learn more about this podcast and us at law.gonzaga.edu. Thanks for listening and go Zags.